Welcome to the Dinner Party Download. This is your icebreaker. There's New York City, a penthouse bar, 80 floors off of the ground level. And there's this sort of like grizzled guy sitting at the bar. Another fellow comes down, sits next to him. Yeah, how you doing? Introduces himself. The grizzled guy looks at him and he goes, I want to tell you something really unusual, really interesting about this building. There's a convergence of wind patterns that if you open the window, you can step outside and the wind will carry you around the whole building. The guy goes, no way, that's crazy. He goes, you want to see it? I'm gonna, I'll show you right now. Opens the window, steps out, and lo and behold, he floats all the way around the building, comes back in. The guy at the bar says, this is incredible. I've never seen this before. I have to try it. He goes to the window, opens it, steps out, and plummets 80 floors to his death. The bartender turns to the grizzled guy, and he goes, you're a real jerk when you're drunk, Superman. I'm Rico Galliano. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. And from the Frank Stanton Studios in Los Angeles, this is The Dinner Party Download, the show that helps you win your next dinner party. Our icebreaker this week came from Aaron Britt, writer and editor for Dwell Magazine. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you. And later we'll be speaking with our guest of honor, author and humorist Mishnah Wolf. But first, time for small talk. So, Brendan, this week in the news, Michael Jackson died. And Oh, I'm sorry. Did something else happen? I wasn't <laughs> actually, aware. Actually, yes. Um, at least according to our friends at Marketplace. Managing editor of Marketplace, George Judson, what story are you going to be talking about this weekend? I'm going to ask people what their dream theme restaurant is. And what prompted that question? The Clinic, which is a new restaurant in Singapore. It's done up in medical equipment. Rehab while you eat? Well, you can get your drink by a drip. I used to joke about wanting a, like a martini IV, but now that it's a reality. The question is, do you really want it? <laughs> Radabid, senior producer of the Marketplace Morning Report, what story are you going to be talking about this weekend? Well, you know, you may have heard that China was going to require that any computer sold in the country had to have this porn blocking software on it. And it is not anymore? No, they just changed their mind. It turns out this software they're used also blocked things like uh, Johnny Depp's face and the lovable cat Garfield. Oh my. <laughs> but here's the thing, this is the internet. There could be a porn Garfield. Exactly. It's like Ron Jeremy with whiskers. It's not cute at all. Stacey Vanek-Smith, senior reporter at Marketplace. What story are you going to be talking about this weekend? Well, the City College of San Francisco is considering selling naming rights for its classes. Oh my goodness. So companies would pay like $6,000 and they would buy the name of a class. The possibilities are endless here. I know, like theoretical math brought to you by Lehman Brothers. Existentialism brought to you by Prozac. Oceanography from Exxon. The Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire brought to you by Bank of America. <laughs> and now, time for cocktails. Yet again, we present you with something that happened this week in history and then give you a fitting drink to serve along with it. It's like milk and cookies, except the cookies are made of history and the milk is booze. Confusing. Uh, but first, the history. This week back in 1881, President James Garfield was assassinated. Now, some folks at your dinner party will know that he was shot, but they might not know much about the shooter. Our friend Michelle Phillippe is here to get them up to speed. Charles J. Gateau was a crazy murderer. Who helped stamp out cronyism in federal government? Let's start with the crazy part. As a teen, Charles flunked his college entrance test, then joined his own dad in a religious sect that practiced, quote, group marriage. 
Even in the 19th century version of a free love commune, his bloated ego and rages were a turnoff. The ladies nicknamed him Charles Get Out. So he moved on to sociopathic crime. Guiteau got a gig as a lawyer by listing wealthy Chicagoans as references, even though he'd never met them. He conned his own clients out of money and released a book of theology he'd plagiarized. Pretty soon, he did the only logical thing. He got into politics. At least in his mind, he did. During James Garfield's presidential campaign, Guiteau wrote a strange, rambling speech supporting the candidate. No one asked him to write it, and he only delivered it twice. But when Garfield won, Guiteau figured the new president owed him. Big time. Guiteau started showing up at the White House demanding work. He thought he'd make a good general consul to Vienna. Now, back then, most federal jobs did go to campaign cronies, but usually to sane ones. When the White House rejected Guiteau one too many times, he followed Garfield to a train station and... Garfield took three months to die. Meanwhile, in prison, Guiteau made plans to run for president until he was found guilty and hung. But some good came of it all. Spurred on by the assassination, Congress passed the Pendleton Act, which requires most federal jobs to be given out based on merit, not to cronies, sane or otherwise. So that's the history. Now for the drink to serve along with it. On the line is mixologist Todd Thrasher of Restaurant Eve in Virginia, near D.C. And Todd, the last time we spoke to you, you gave us a drink commemorating a bloody explosion on a boat. What do you got for this bloody piece of history? Man, Washington, D.C. is famous for bloodshed, I guess. So I have a, uh, <laughs> a cocktail called the Tomato Water Bloody Mary. Of course. So what, how does your Bloody Mary differ from the one I'm going to get at any bar? It tastes good. Oh, I'm kidding. <laughs> weird. <laughs> Strange. So um, the whole thing with this Bloody Mary is uh, it's 100% clear. Clear? It, like it's like water? It's like water. All right. So how does this miracle so, done? So the miracle is done with tomatoes, onions, serrano chilies, a little salt, a little pepper, add a little orange, lemon, and lime juice, spin them in a blender really quickly, pour it into the colander lined with a uh, tablecloth. And the liquid sort of filters through the colander. It goes in red and it comes out crystal clear. Beautiful, clear liquid. When does the vodka come in? Uh, Put an ounce and a half of vodka, put in a highball glass with ice, fill the glass with the tomato water, stir and go. And it actually fits really well with our history because it is insane. Exactly. You know, I'm maybe not a crazy murderer, but I'm definitely a crazy cocktail guy. <laughs> so, Brendan, cool drink. Pretty cool. But point of parliamentary procedure, I believe the name, if it is clear, the drink should actually be called the Plasma Mary. <laughs> is this not true? Well, when he figures out clear coffee, give me a call because my dry cleaning bill is going to be cut in half. <laughs> also well said. Uh, If you're still spilling things on yourself, ladies and gentlemen, ask your parents' permission to use the computer (laughs) and email us at dinnerparty at kpcc.org. Our guest of honor this week is Mishna Wolf. She is the author of the new memoir, Alm Down, which is a story about her upbringing as a white girl in a poor black neighborhood raised by her white father who, quote, thought he was black. Mishna, the book is really funny. One of my favorite parts is early on when you're at a day camp and the little black kids there teach you the art of the put down. Yeah. And so I thought it would, you know, I was wondering if you could make fun of me. 
Do I have to? No, you don't have to. I just thought, you know, apparently you're good at put downs. I just thought that those shoes are so whack. <laughs> it looks like they came out of the Goodwill goodie box. <laughs> is it? Is it still a put down if it's true? Um. Yeah, but you know what? At some point, you grow up and you realize people have feelings. Yeah. <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean when you say your father thought he was black? I mean, he was like the only white member of a completely all black gentlemen's club that hosted like NAACP meetings and gave away scholarships to black youth. How did that come about? Like, why, why, why was he so? That's the ten million dollar question. That I, you know, I think I answer to some degree in my book, but it's a combination of a lot of things. How he was brought up. He came to the U.S. from Canada, and I think he felt a little out of place because he had like wool pants or whatever. <laughs> <Canadians>. <laughs> you know, the neighborhood he grew up in was part of the white flight. So the whites fled Seattle. <laughs> yeah, they went they went to North Seattle for like five minutes and came back in the 90s. What time period did this book take place? The 80s and late 80s. It's during it's, it's post civil rights. So basically, there's no rules. It's not like when my parents were growing up and it was like, black people do this, white people do that, poor people do this, rich people do that. All those things were open. On this show, we have two standard questions. Our first question is, what question are you tired of being asked at dinner parties? How tall are you? Oh, because you are actually pretty tall. Yeah, I'm very tall. <laughs> How tall are you? Like 5'11 and some change. Do people ask you that to kind of like, I don't know, just process it? Just or? to remind me that I'm different and I don't belong. <laughs> it's like, how tall are you? Yeah. It's never like, how tall are you? It's like, how tall are you? Jesus. <laughs> what? Okay, so we have another question on our show. Tell us something we don't know, something you haven't talked about in interviews before. Oh, man. I never graduated high school. Really? Yeah, I'm like, because um, I'm a writer, it's pretty shocking to people. <laughs> what happened? I was getting straight A's at the time, but I, I was just fed up. I, I, I think I was having like a crisis because I had been in such a fast-paced academic environment for a really long time. And I was just like, screw it, man, I'm going. Did your parents, what, were their, what was their response? If you read the book, I was so parenting myself at that yeah. point. They were just like, oh, I'm sure that's a great plan. <laughs> and I was like, it is a great plan. <laughs> If you end up having children, do you think you're going to be as permissive with them? I'm sure I'd be a different parent than my parents were. I mean, my parents did a little better than my grandparents where they broke free of some family baggage or whatever. And, you know, you hope you just cut loose a couple bags. You know, Rico, it's funny that she said that because the only reason I want children is to have them carry my baggage. (laughs) Like, literally, at the airport. Like, little Brendan Sherpas. <laughs> oh, no. I'm calling the police. Uh, and while I do, listeners, you might want to check our website. It is full of links and pictures and fun. Dinnerpartydownload.com. So we've met our guest of honor. Now it's time for the main course, the part of the show where we learn something about food. And Brendan, this week America turns 233 years old. And she really looks great. It is I amazing. Mean, it's phenomenal. Ever since the fall, her hip is just yeah. working. Well, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> to celebrate, people are going to burn animals and vegetables over coals. God bless America. Which got us thinking, foodies are always obsessing about the animals and the vegetables. What about the coals? So I spoke with Hunter Lewis. He runs the test kitchen at Savour Magazine, and he is a connoisseur of coals. And I asked him why. 
I think it's the the caveman, you know, the the, the primal urge. I don't know. I, I I've always cooked over fire and professionally, you know, I worked in a kitchen in California where we were burning hard woods, and it really got me thinking about it more more than fuel. It's it's another ingredient. So let's get to it. What what is the best ingredient you can use charcoal wise? I'm looking for hard wood, something like oak or hickory or mesquite. You know, something that is burned down from whole wood. How does that differ from say, you know, the fire starter brand black? oily charcoal stuff that my dad used when I was growing up. Well, my dad did too, and I think that's why everything tasted of that chemical. But (laughs) what they are, you know, they're pressed wood. It's sawdust. There's some starch as a binder. So you're getting different things in there. Sometimes you don't know what they are. Now, I've also heard of this stuff. It's called white? White charcoal, yeah. How does that differ from any other kind? Well, this is the the creme de la creme, the bean show charcoal, and it's a... um, a week-long process to make this charcoal. And it's made where? It's made in Japan. It's this artisanal thing that, you know, you've got these guys that their one job is to make this charcoal. Why is it such a big deal? What does that end up imparting to the food? I think it's what it doesn't impart. It's um, prized for its purity and, and its cleanliness. And this charcoal burns very hot and very clean. So like no smoke or something? Well, it's this stuff is supposed to be so pure that you can take it home and put it in your flower beds. You can use it for purifying water or, or even as a deodorizer in your fridge. So. so, like, you know, the next big thing is going to be a, a restaurants serving the charcoal as a side dish, perhaps, a pilaf. <laughs> uh, Rico, I don't know. I mean, how are, is this stuff easy to come by? It's not. It's almost like trying to buy a fish out of season sometimes. You know, we were looking for some the other day, and we've got some on special order from Japan, but slow coming. What, what can I expect to pay for this stuff? It's definitely at a market price. You know, we're talking about at least $12 per pound. If the charcoal costs more than the food that is used to cook, is it worth it, I guess, is the question. Yeah, then you might need to return to the old briquettes of, of our childhood. So $12 a pound. It is almost literally like burning money. I think it's actually more expensive than burning money (laughs) nowadays. It's true. I wonder what money tastes like, actually. Lettuce? Gin? And that's the Dinner Party download for this week. To keep up with us between episodes, we deliver daily dinner party fodder on Twitter. Follow us at Dinner Party, DNLD. And you can also catch us on the Arts and Culture Show Off Ramp, hosted by John Raby and Queena Kim. You'll find that at kpcc.org. Also, thanks this week to Beth Cracklauer and Vroman's Bookstore in Pasadena. We leave you, as always, with One for the Road, a song to listen to on your way to... We're departing from this weekend's dinner party. The band is called Grass Widow. They're from San Francisco, and this is from their self-titled debut record. It's called Lulu's Lips. Bon appétit. Galliano. I'm Brendan Francis Noonan. And uh, Rico, your mom's so big that she wears a VCR for a beeper. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's interesting because your mom is so ugly, she has to tie a pork chop around her neck so the dog will play with her. <laughs> well, your mom would probably eat that pork chop because she's so fat when she sits on the corner, the police tell her to break it up. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs>